Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to episode four. Today, I'm going to talk to my friend Anise about growing up in Sweden, the effects of social media and our kids, food, finances, and F1. All right, here we go. Hey, hey, my friend. <laughs> Welcome. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on here. It's really interesting. My first podcast. Right. You look very nice today. Thank you. I figured I'd dress up wearing a suit for this <laughs> yeah, occasion. For this, right, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Um, so you're from Sweden originally. Yeah. Uh, born and raised, uh, grew up in Stockholm, suburbs yeah. of Stockholm. What was that like? Oof. It was, uh, it was actually very, very nice. Yeah? Quite frankly, it was amazing. Um, I was very fortunate to grow up in a country that offered a lot of opportunity, mm-hmm. um, had great, great friends, and um, grew up in, um, in the suburbs in Sweden where it's, um, you know, high rises. It was a, a, Interesting. a, yeah, it was a multi-million dollar project that they built basically back in the 1960s and 70s, and it was just to house a lot of families. So, huh. um, but it was a, such a huge immigration boom that occurred in Stockholm during right. that time, and continue to build homes, single-family homes, it's not feasible because it's not enough land. Okay. And then Stockholm, just like many, many European cities, they have limits on how high you can build certain buildings. And on top of that, some of the buildings in Sweden are from 17, 1800s. They are very, you know, keen about protecting the, the, the heritage, I should say. So the only way to continue to expand the city was to continue to build out the suburbs. And so the sub- certain suburbs you know, got the homes and certain suburbs got the, the projects, if you will. And um, while we grew up there, it was a, a very good mixture. My mom is Swedish and my dad is from Tunisia, hmm. from North part of Africa. So Enis is not a very you know, common name. It would be like Eric Larson okay. otherwise, right? right? So Enis is actually an Arabic name. Um, and my parents, they met. Back in the 70s, my mom was traveling in North Africa, and that's how she met my dad. He was a kind of beach bum hanging out on the beach. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, hence kind of why I got stuck here in Florida a little bit. But yeah, so they met, moved back to Sweden, had myself and my sister. So obviously in Sweden during that time, um, it was an expanding economy, hmm. and they needed immigration and labor immigration. And the people that migrated to Sweden during that time was a lot of Greeks, Turks, uh, Italians, Spanish, and then um, that was kind of the first group of immigrants that came to Sweden and Stockholm, mm. and um, naturally they moved into these quote-unquote projects. So then with the world issues, for instance, we had Pinochet in Chile, for instance, a lot of issues that occurred geographically, geopolitically, Sweden was always a country that was accepting refugees, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So we got a major swing of people from Chile. So that was kind of the first ones coming in there too. But so they came for political reasons, uh, not necessarily from, from a labor standpoint. Same thing with Khomeini in Iran. Um, we got a lot of people from Persia. So this is a big Persian community. And I think... Uh, 
California and Los Angeles have also experienced some of the benefits from that. And um, Sweden was very lucky that the people that did come over, very educated individuals and willing to work. So it was a very thriving economy. But how it benefited me is that all my friends that I grew up with were basically from everywhere in the world. Hmm. And uh, so, and it was mixed in with a couple of Swedes in there at the same time. But uh, so we grew up in in a, in a neighborhood where um, I would say majority are either half or they came from a different part of the world. So you were exposed to a lot of different cultures and a lot of different foods. Interesting. So, so that shaped me a lot as a as a person of being, uh, I would say maybe having more open mind in generally mm-hmm. speaking, um, and then um, we were able to hang out with a couple of guys who were a little bit older than us, and was really good role models, hmm. really good role models, and I would say sports had a massive impact. And over there, it, soccer was not soccer. It was football. It was football. And, and, um, and believe it or not, even though I play a lot of football today here in the U.S., uh, my sport of choice was basketball. Huh. And I am 5'7", right. I think, something like that, yeah, yeah. 171 centimeters. Um, but that's what we did. Because you also got to remember that the suburbs, we always felt like the outcast also. So U.S., it's been a massive influence. Have always been a massive influence on on Europe, the West. And Sweden. Yep, the West, and but also it was the the marketing and 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 um, and the things you saw in movies sure. and, and the struggles that some of the people had here in the suburbs in the hood. Right, mm-hmm. uh, it was easy for us to identify huh. with that. And being from Sweden, even though I'm kind of on the lighter skin, um, green eyes, my name. And he's Mohammed Reedy was not really Swedish. So I remember when we went out and went to show IDs at What's the Reedy? I'm not sure what that really mm-hmm. means. It's just uh, it's a unique last name in Tunisia. So it's Arabic. Okay. Yeah. And um, and I remember all my friends, we're going out to these higher end nightclubs in Stockholm. And this is way before we really get to know bouncers and things like that. And so now he's standing in line, like typical peak guys. But we have four guys. So it was me, uh, two guys, they were from Greece. And then another guy, he was from from Iran. And uh, so we all have all these weird names on our IDs, <laughs> and we show it, and none of us are blonde and blue eyes. Right. And every time we, that happened, the club was full. Really? Always, So yeah. you felt discrimination back then? Massively, yeah, yeah. So you were always, you were kind of an outcast. It was a lot of that, right? Huh. You send in your resume, um, and he's again... Um, Rarely did you, it was hard to get a job, get your foot in the labor market really? when you're really young. Yeah. Uh. Um, but w- if you called and you spoke with someone, if they saw you, it was a totally different approach. Okay. Right. Because I don't look for it necessarily. Sure. Right. Um, so that was very unique. So with having that experience and you seeing the struggles that you see in the U.S., in the hood and all that, there was a lot of parallels. Okay. You know? Interesting. And, um, and of course, we didn't have all the money either. Right. So mm-hmm. you really had to work with what you had. So we did what we could with the most of it. And I think that's also shaped me a lot as a person today with seeing that well, number one, less is more. I feel that way. Right. And, and, and finding joy is about finding peace with yourself and not necessarily through materialistic things. Sports uh, 
really kept me away from 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 a lot of misery. Misery in what sense? So, granted, when you're growing up in the suburbs, hood, however you want to call it, uh, you only have what you have. And you always see people having something more. And when you're younger, you're always striving for that, right? So you're starting to see certain people downtown, like in, in the city, wearing these, you know, designer clothing or the Nikes or, or even like I remember our friends, there was maybe one or two guys every other year that we knew that was flying to the U.S. Mm. And everybody like, okay, can you buy me a pair yeah, of sneakers? Sure. Can you buy me a Jordans? Right. And it has to be like all white sneakers. And it was like super popular back in the day. Uh, because they didn't have them. So everybody wants to strive for something. And if you can't have what other people have, it's you might want to have to find a job. Well, if you can't find a job, it's very easy to figure out how you make money elsewhere. And and a lot of people that led to crime base, sure. right? Like selling drugs. Selling drugs. Theft. Yeah, theft. Them. I would say that was a time in Sweden. Um, uh, breakings was massive or robbing. Um, so I have a lot of friends that fell into that line. Um, playing How did basketball. you stay out of it? So, number one, sports really kept me away from it. So you played all the time. Yeah, we were really busy, and we were really good. Um, when you say busy, your family, like, taking you to the sports events or just as kids? I love how you say the family taking you. So, no, my parents didn't really take me. They were busy working, or, or they never really did anything. But in Sweden or in Europe What do you general, mean by they never really did anything? So when you live in a city, there's subways. And okay, so sure. all we needed to do is just walk five minutes and you're at the subway station and everybody meets up there, the coach comes, or you walk to the gym where you're working out, right, or practice, mm -hmm. and it's a 10-minute walk. So be able to do things, right, mm -hmm. is a lot easier. You don't need to, you don't depend on your parents taking you, which allows it, it's a lot easier than for kids to continue to focus on sports while the parents are continuously focusing on whatever they need to focus on. So it doesn't need to be mutually exclusive. Mm. The other part, so the cost of it. So I think we paid maybe 25 bucks to play for the whole season. Right. And the only thing I need to come up with was a pair of sneakers, mm -hmm. right? Here, the cost I right. hear associated with playing sports is different. The sports thing, same with me. I loved baseball. That was mm -hmm. I played soccer too. Um, baseball was my jam. I was a pitcher. Um, and I really loved that, and I don't remember what it cost. I definitely remember getting rides there, but what I also remember is that my bike was my my vehicle when mm -hmm. I was a kid, and I took that everywhere. And in Washington, there's lots of hills. So, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like... <laughs> So having a ethnic background, if you will, mm -hmm. what was the music like in your house? Oh, wow. It was a combination, but my parents, they loved ABBA. Oh, my God. That's so <laughs> funny that you would say that. Because Dancing Queen is one yeah. of my favorite songs in the world. You're kidding. As a matter of fact, when we toured on our Lucy record, mm -hmm. we opened the show with that song. You're kidding, yeah. We carried mirror balls. Mm -hmm. And they set them up in the arenas and shined all the lights on these mirror balls, turned that song on, and everybody danced. Oh, I love everybody it. Everybody danced. That's there wasn't a picture. single person in that coliseum or arena or whatever it was that wasn't having the time of their life to that song. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a really happy song. 
it right. just is amazing. And and I feel like it's it's something that's it's still lingering. I think there's a lot of uh, different versions of it that's still out there lingering around. So, no, so ABBA was big. Bonnie M. I don't know if you heard Bonnie M. Mm-hmm. That was another one. I think it was from U.S. or U.K. was massive. Uh, Stevie Wonder of course. was big, right? Michael Jackson later on. And then, so my parents listened to some of that. Me growing up, it was more hip-hop, mm. right? And what year were you born? 82, 1982. Okay, Beautiful so 92, year. you were 10, of course. We're yes. talking all the gangster rap stuff, yeah. which is but my it, favorite era. Yeah, I mean, it was 90s. a lot of East Coast, uh-huh. you know, Common, Biggie, you know, it's of part course. of Nas, big one there, uh, that we grew up, Lauryn Hill, the Miseducation. That's it, yeah. My, that that was the first record. and only album I ever bought. Oh, really? Yeah, my <laughs> friends still make fun of it because I didn't have money. Oh, sure. I couldn't afford it. Mm-hmm. And we used to have this this store called... Wait, are we Ma- talking vinyl or tape? Uh, this was... No, it was a, a CD. Oh, no, it was, CD. okay. Yeah. I was born 82. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but still... I was close to MP3s. <laughs> yeah, but late 80s, they're still selling cassettes. But yes, yeah. the CD was pretty dominant. Yeah, CDs were big. And uh, you remember the, mic- uh, the mini discs? Of course, I, think they were around I for do like five remember minutes. those. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and then MP3 came along, but yeah, so it was it was a lot of um, rap music, R and B, but I mainly listened to that. So, what about your sister? Is she older or younger? My sister is three years older than me. Same thing, rap or no? She was more into Whitney Houston. Oh sure, yeah, this kind of ballads in a sense, but. <laughs> Uh, no, definitely more love songs. And then, of course, my dad always blared Arab music. And there's some of those songs I've heard now lately that I do appreciate because now it's like, whoa, it's kind of, it's it's instilled in you. Of course. In a way, right? 100%. And, um, but also, so then there's something called Arabic pop, if you will, but it's called Rai music. Mm. R-A-I, Rai music. And it's, it's basically Arabic music married with pop, almost like a reggaeton i mean it's just a beautiful rhythm you know and uh, so listen i listened to that a lot growing up as well and it's more of kind of modern was that by choice or it was just in the house playing no yeah it was combination so i always i love rhythm so when i was younger being in sweden there was a lot of things for us youth to do Mm -hmm. right and we had the these Little, what do we call it? Little youth centers okay. that you can go to. And there were certain youth centers that were for older kids and certain ones for younger and then middle age, right? So you always go there and you play floor hockey inside ping pong, but you also had music groups. Mm-hmm. So I was joined this band that we did, and I was this drummer. <laughs> okay. And so I always loved beats. So you can play the drums? Well, I wouldn't say I can play, but. Back then, you yeah, I was able to. <laughs> and. Uh, but it allowed me to, to dance. That. Like Ashley and I, my okay. wife, we're big dancers when we go out and and reggaeton. I feel goofy when I dance. What do you What do you think makes you? I mean, is it just just self? Because you have the you, you got to have the. Rhythm. I gotta have rhythm, right? Yeah. Of course, everybody says that. Absolutely. You're a musician. You should be able to dance. Yeah. But I just feel like such an idiot that I don't want to <laughs> do it. Oh gosh, yeah. I have I have stories here. I mean. We always went out and being um, going out to nightclubs and stuff in Sweden, and you always want to impress on girls. You kind of learn how to dance, sure. but it's, I wouldn't say it's not it's not break dance or anything. You just whine and did you, you break dance? No, come on, but, we're talking. Well, that would be more of the late eighties. That is late eighties, right? Actually, mid eighties. Yeah, yeah, probably. 
So you were only, you were very young. I was yeah, I was young. But it's just you just call it whining, right? And uh, just feeling the rhythm, you know, that's that's a massive one. And then especially when you dance with a girl, right? It's right. just you be one with her in the music gotcha. and the beat. Yeah. So I love the beat of things. Okay. And and Arab music has a lot of beat to it. So it's similar to Latin, wouldn't it? Yes. Kind of thing. Very similar. Um, the the culture is very similar. Okay. Very family oriented, very warm, um, and and it's it's a lot of love, if sure. you will, right? Mm-hmm. So, and so that's why you I, had a loving family. Yeah, so I was very I. blessed. So, Me too. Um, my dad from that warm Arabic side. Mm-hmm. My mom is this dry German kind of Swedish cold side. <laughs> so it's it's funny you say that, but it's you you got. A good mixture of two things, sure. and then my mom being Christian, my dad being a Muslim. I How'd also that did. work? Oh, this is great. Yeah, because you know? there's lessons to be learned from both religions. Absolutely, and I think I don't know if both are misunderstood or what. Correct. But I think, you know, and at the end of the day, I'm not real religious per se, but sure. I think religious is good for someone that needs to find a path. I mean, being a good person shouldn't be that hard. And um, I come across a lot of people that has these closed minds. And and they always going to be stuck in the same spot a lot of times. Right, I can see that no growth. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think you know so that's so I was very blessed from that. But going back talking about you know uh, the different flares, right, and uh, coming from a warm side of the family and then having a a colder side of, of my mom's side because Sweden is. When is, you say cold, do you mean strict and regimented type? No. So my mom was super loving. My dad was stricter, uh, but even him was just had a he had a warm, warm heart. Mm. I can I, see that in uh, you. Oh yeah, thank yeah. you. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm just joking. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I always tried to be nice and humble, yeah, right? and you always are. Uh, thank yeah. you. But what I mean by cold is that. I was talking to this German guy, World of Beer, the other day. I'm a big soccer buff, Arsenal all day, by the way. <laughs> but um, we were just talking about how similar Swedish and German culture is, how standoffish we are. Mm. So um, you, know, you I never thought to... the Swedes would be standoffish. I always oh, thought God, yeah. maybe I'm thinking of Switzerland because they're always neutral and yeah. you know takes everybody in. But Sweden was similar, right? Yeah, they definitely. When it comes to it from a humanitarian standpoint, right. you know, and solidarity and all that, Sweden is big. But when it comes to for instance, Ashley, my wife, right, born and raised here in, in Sarasota, lived her entire life in Florida. First time she comes to Sweden, and we're walking from our house to the subway. It's maybe a five-minute walk, not even, and we're passing people, and she's like, hey, how are you doing? Hey, how are you doing? Right. People just look at her like, are you crazy? Right. And I told her, honey, <laughs> you don't say hi to people as you pass them here. Right. It's really awkward. Or even if you... That's kind of like a New York thing almost. Yes, very similar. I think maybe because you're in a city or whatnot, mm-hmm. right? And I'm sure Seattle is maybe the same way, or what are you... No, man, growing up in Seattle, people are always really nice. You mm-hmm. know, always like, hey, what's up? You know, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So maybe it's not necessarily. I a, mean, that's the way I remember it. I was thinking it had to do with like climate a little bit because in Sweden, like it's cold. It's like, yeah. I mean, Sweden is just as north as Alaska. Yeah. So when it's in the wintertime, um, sun gets up around 9 30, sets at 2 30. So it's dark, wow. right? So back in the day when there was not a lot of electricity or it's expensive, you don't go out as much. Mm. So you be more confined, you kind of keep into yourself, and sure. it's cold, right? Yeah. So you don't go out that much. And then the further south you go, the warmer people are. 
And when I was in Tunisia, for instance, growing up, there's no, they didn't have an AC. And uh, so they build homes that are a little cooler during the day because they use marble. And then at nighttime, uh, because the sun has been laying on, you get this radiation heat coming into the home. And it's hotter in the house than it is outside. Gotcha. So people then at nighttime, they rather sit outside. Mm -hmm. And not only my family does it, my neighbor and that neighbor and mm -hmm. this neighbor. So it's very easy now you outside more, you talk more. Sure. So I think, I'm not sure if that has to do with it, but over years and years. But Probably. Potentially, yeah. but it's, um, it, it was a really neat way to grow up. And, and from a musical standpoint, I found love for reggaeton when I moved down here to the U.S. And I've been here for, what, 17, 18 I was going to ask you that when uh, you came, yeah. Uh, what year did you guys move? Did your whole family move? No, it was just me. So they're all still there? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, it was just a fluke. So I was in uh, the southern part of France wrapping up some of my studies and um, was ready to go back home to Sweden and start working. And my best friend from Sweden, again, he's from Ethiopia, um, he, his uncle had been to uh, St. Pete and studied at mm -hmm. SPC, St. Pete College. And uh, so he had recommended it to my, my best friend. And he said, why don't you go over there and study? And uh, so he said, all right, I'm going to go. So he calls me. He's like, hey, niece, I'm going to move to Florida. Do you want to come and do another master's? Huh. And I'm like 24 or something. I was like, sure, why not? Yeah. I don't want to go back to cold Sweden. So I moved over here. And boy, this is a perfect example of how influenced we were by marketing from the U.S., so we land here in August, have nowhere to stay, and um, I'm, we get to the airport, and I was like, hey, Bron, can we take the subway out to the beaches or something? And he's like, there's no subways no. here. He had been here for six months. He's like, we need to rent a car. So we get the car, get from Dollar Rent-A-Car, the last one, and um, we finally get him driving across the bridge, Howard Franklin, going out to the beaches. Like, where's the hotel around here? He's like, go towards the beaches, follow the sign. Mm -hmm. So we drive, and we come across this big round hotel, the plaza used to be called. And now it's called the Bellwether. So we check in, get the room, and he's like, I was like, I'm hungry. He's like, what do you want to eat? I was like, Taco Bell. <laughs> <laughs> never had it. Never. So just from the advertising, just from you watching wanted movies. to go to Taco Bell. Yeah, just watching movies. That's you know? awesome. So it was Taco Bell, got there, and then, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it was great. You know, and then I saw the first thunderstorm here. And yeah. And then the next day, the heat. And which beach did you hit first? St. Pete Beach. Okay. Yeah. And we stayed. I mean, it was hard the first couple of days. And then... Um, so and where did you stay then? A hotel? Yeah, we stayed at a hotel. For like a week? Yeah, And then you week. found a place to rent or yeah, something? find okay. an apartment. And, and where uh, was the apartment? The apartment was not too far from uh, the uh, college campus, SPC, on, by Tyrone Mall. Oh, yeah. And uh, on 66th mm -hmm. Street. And uh, it was kind of neat because it was a lot of other students that was residing there as well. So again, it happened to be a lot of international students. So you get to meet all people from all walks of life, mm -hmm. some Croatia, Morocco, Colombia. It was a really fun little area. And uh, all we did was just party. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It was a good time. So, um, and then we start going out. And I remember first I'm going to, to downtown St. Pete. Mm. Golly. So my my friend, so when we, in Europe, typically when you go out, you don't go out until maybe 10, 11. Right. Right. And then the clubs close at 5, 6, where they open until next I next remember morning. when I was in Spain. Yeah. It wasn't until midnight. Exactly and right. And then they, you know, they sleep around 3 in the afternoon. You know, they don't go home till 6 in the morning. Yeah. 
It's just that as a, I feel like it's such a focus on life. Yeah, right? I agree. Then, and the know? whole like um, science behind the nap, if you will, in mm-hmm. the middle of the day, apparently your body needs it. Yeah. And it's healthy to do that. But that mind frame is not here. No, no, definitely not. And um, but if I could squeeze one in, I always try. Oh, to, who doesn't yeah. love a good nap? Yeah, my gosh. <laughs> But it, I feel like you just get a second chance of the day. Yeah. You know? A little re-energized. Yeah, a little re-energized. And so my friends down here, we that's what we started doing. And the first time we went out to St. Pete, they closed at 1 p.m. Yeah, at 1 a.m. Yeah. Oh, sorry, 1 a.m. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you're right. So that was kind of a little bit of a disappointment. And then uh, the only thing that was open in the, in the beginning was really the casino. Mm, the yeah, hard sure, sure, yeah. sure. And um, I don't think you were here then, were you? I came down in 2012. 12, yeah, okay. But we used to tour through here all the time. Let's go back to food. Mm. That was a big part of your... Yeah. You love food. Like, it's a thing, right? Food is big, food is big. And so my favorite is the get-together at your place (laughs) for the tacos. Oh, the legendary tacos. Explain how you make these, because they are so good. Golly. See, it was just a skirt steak, It's skirt steak, um, salt and pepper, just grill it on high, high heat. Okay. And um, and then you... it doesn't feel, like, burnt or overcooked. No, so it's... you. It goes quick. I mean, it's a very thin piece, mm-hmm. piece of meat, right? I would say two minutes on each side is mm-hmm. plenty, but be very generous with salt and pepper, and then let it rest, and you slice against the grain, so you get these nice little slices of it, right, that everybody like. But I think the magic behind it is, I wouldn't call it chimichurri because I'd probably get sting for that, but it's all it is, is is olive oil, garlic, and cilantro, and salt. Cilantro is my favorite. Yeah. You can put that pretty much in anything. Yeah, massive like health it. benefits too. Oh, yeah. Some, right? I love it. Yes, yeah, that on a, on a little corn taco. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a very good good, good combination. So what is your favorite food? My favorite time. food of all time. Well, it used to be spaghetti. Really? Yeah, growing up. Out of all the foods. Yeah. It's like just plain old spaghetti or... Oh, a certain gosh. way that your mom would make it or your dad or something? Well, my, my parents, so my dad had restaurants, right? Okay. And he was a chef, but my mom was the chef at the house. Okay. And so my dad cooked a variety of meals at home, including, I mean, continental, European, Arabic, anything. And my mom just kind of tied along and did her own thing with things, right? So I grew up, even though we did not have everything, we were always fed and had everything we needed. Right. And I think that what that's the strong memories that gives me a lot of warmth. Of course, to think about right. Um, but the the passion of cooking and so forth, I always enjoyed it in a sense. It's just a relaxing thing, and I think it's it's like an art. Yeah, you know? it can be. Yeah, it's almost like you if you putting a song together, right? It's sure. it's an art. It's the it's pieces. Like, yeah, the pieces. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And and each little ingredient is its own piece, and it doesn't mm-hmm. mean anything. But once you put it together with the right amount, hundred percent. Now you can get something really, really nice and tasty. Mm-hmm. But what I love about it the most is what it does with your surroundings and the people around you. It just brings people together, mm. right? So, well, like the kitchen is every time there's a yeah. party or something. Yeah, most of the gathering is in the kitchen. In the kitchen, yeah. And I think I don't know if they want to be close to the chef or not, but 
you know, just be able to sit down around a table, share a meal, mm-hmm. and, and just have good conversations, right? That's what I enjoy so much about the people in our neighborhood. Yeah. The get-togethers with our group of people. I say all the time, like, I, I miss the get-togethers. Mm-hmm. I'm craving one. Because every yeah. time that we have one and I go there, everybody, it's like I feel fulfilled. So your daughter was born. She was born in 08. Okay. Here, yeah. And that was also a scary thought because we were still in school. And I had just met Ashley, more or less. And, uh, and she, Ashley just tells me, she's like, Anise, I'm pregnant. I was like, you're pregnant. you got to get an abortion. We can't have a kid right now. I'm going to school. you go going to school. The pharmacist, this is just too much for us to bear. Because in Sweden, again, you're having kids like in your mid-30s, 30s, when you are physically responsible. Right. Here we are, two college students, barely working, right? And she's like, well, I'm going to keep this kid with or without you. And I was like, all right, well, I love you, so I guess I have no choice. Right. And and what so I did learn, you did. yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was probably the, the the worst, best decision of my life. Your daughter is the coolest. Thank you. Yeah, she's uh, she's a good mix between us. Yeah, too. I would say. Okay. But I love that she's very grounded. She's super grounded, and she'll carry on a conversation with me. Like she, yeah. she's interested in talking. You know. Yeah, she's uh, it's very interesting because she's fifteen now, right? And yeah. And we talk a lot about the issues that a 15-year-old goes through and all that. And, and everything that happens in her world, social media, but, but between friends. And, and what I always admire about her is that she has this bird's eye view of things. Sure. Yeah, and she, she has the ability to insert herself into the mix and the bubble, but also take a few steps back. And she say, can this see is not when important. she needs to go. Yeah, and absolutely. step away. Mm-hmm. I think it's important that you, sometimes you do get some distance of things and, and start thinking rational, you know, and I think Haley has been able to master that to a certain degree at a young age. So how do you feel about your daughter in social media? So we caught her a couple of times having Snapchat because she was allowed to TikTok early on because she did these goofy videos and things mm-hmm. and she was younger. And, uh, but Snapchat was different and she got caught having it behind our backs. And, um, and that was a time when she, two years ago, right? And I started feeling that, whoa, she's changing. And mm-hmm. it moves pretty rapidly. So, yeah, right. And I was like, I've never been a girl. And I never gone through what she's going through. So I was like, I need to figure this out somehow. So I read this book called Tangle, I think it was. It was written by a child psychologist and it was focusing on just teenage girls and what they go through. And I guess they go through seven different stages in their lives from age 12 to 18, which is a massive transformation, mm-hmm. right, in a very short period of time. And sometimes they don't even know what they go through. Sure. Um, but she also mentioned social media in that, that we are really kind of the first, even you, right, having young kids, mm-hmm. we're really the first generation of parents that has to deal with it. And uh, they really stems from communication, is what she said. And, and I'm not sure if in your household we had one phone, right, back in the day. It was on the wall, right? Maybe we had two sure. phones, but it was one line, yeah. right? And um, my sister could hug that phone. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And my dad is like, oh, yeah. hang up the phone. Uh, my sister. Same thing, right? And my dad is like, how much can she possibly be on the phone? Yeah. 
And uh, and the same thing here. I'm finding myself, Haley, get off social media. Yeah. How much can you possibly be on there? And it's really stemmed from our need as human beings to communicate, mm. right? The need has always been there. It's just the how and, and ability to communicate has changed over time. So is this communication through posts or is she just scrolling mindlessly? No. So when she gets in trouble, another thing that she said is that the person that pays for their bills has the right to go through your kids' phones. Okay. Okay. At any time. And that should be known, right? Say, because I'm paying, I can do whatever I want with your phone. And um, so Ashley's really good at that. So she goes through her phone and um, and we had found out that she had downloaded it again. So she was on social media probation. No, this was for her grades uh, or not turning in things in time, I should say. She had always good grades. Uh, so she was on, on social media probation where I put time limits. Mm-hmm. And I looked at what she's using the most. And I was very pleased to see that TikTok and scrolling and getting caught in those reels were not high. It was Snapchat. And I asked her, why do you use Snapchat so much? And it's like, well, I don't text. I don't call my friends. That's the way we communicate. Hmm. So that was pretty impressive. You know, the, the iPad and all that stuff allows for the parent to have a break. Yeah, kind of sit, exactly. Because you know, Jess needs a break. You know, mm-hmm. she's there all day. Um, but you don't want them to be mindlessly scrolling. No. And it's a constant battle of wits yeah. between the kid and the parent. And then the guilt factor mm-hmm. of you don't want your kids doing that. Like, you have Correct. better stuff to do. You know, yeah. you can't get the kid to ride his bike. He just doesn't want to do it. And you drag him outside, and, you know, and it's just it's just not an interest for him. And he may be just a different kid. I think he, he's going to be more of a an intellectual than mm-hmm. a, a, a sports kid, yeah. if you will. And that's totally cool. Absolutely. So soccer is your is your jam? Yeah, right now for sure. And we both love Formula One. Yeah, gosh, Max Verstappen. I'm telling you. Yeah, he's yeah. my guy, yeah. and not because he's winning. I knew he was going to be special, and I like the way he drives. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's dominating now. On that point, though, uh, Lewis Hamilton was dominant. Yeah, and he was Mercedes when Mercedes had the technology. Yeah, and so. I think I think he deserved that eighth championship. Yeah. I think it was stolen, uh, and he should have gotten it and then been able to go and retire because there's no way he's going to get it now unless no. Mercedes comes back with the technology. But that's what I don't like, though. I think, you know, had you put Verstappen in the Mercedes three I... or four years ago, he probably would have been the champion. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, NASCAR, they go out of their way to try at least make the cars as even as possible mm-hmm. so that it's the driver himself and that's what it should be it should be yeah uh, indy car similar thing yeah but you know there's guys like in the indy car like scott dixon mm-hmm. who's just gonna win you know there's certain guys that are just gonna win you know there's top teams like mercedes yeah. red bull you know i love to see alonzo in f1 you know, getting podiums. Yeah. Because that, you know, he was top dog and then he went away and then he went to, um, what was it, Alpine. Alpine, yeah. And now he's with Aston Martin. Yep. And he's, you know, he's up there. He's challenging. And to me, again, as is my theory of the car, 
wrong and and Lewis Hamilton or Verstappen are winning because the car because Alonso he doesn't have the car and he's still competing yeah so absolutely. imagine if he was in Red Bull yep. he would probably be winning eight in a row what is Verstappen yeah. on nine in a row Not, or something? yeah something like that it's but insane I would say they did change that though right where They're as far as to. how much money you can put the into your car and yeah that. and and I think once they did that, you really saw the change of, of power, right? Maybe. I mean, I think, I think Rebel was always up there sniffing, but if you're comparing how dominant Mercedes were with Bottas and, and Hamilton, they, they just had that reign, and I think it had to do with the amount of money that they could put into their cars yeah. relative to other teams. Um, and now the fact that they even the playing field a little bit I think it does definitely fall, and, and Max, I mean, he's just such a talented driver. Yeah, and I wonder if he was in Aston Martin and Alonso, if they were switched. Mm-hmm. I'd like to just see one race to yeah. see if Alonso really would win with the Red Bull or if Verstappen is that good and could win with Aston with Martin. Car, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that would be neat. Even Ferrari's struggling a little yes. bit. Yes, yeah. yeah. and I love Leclerc. And his younger brother mm-hmm. is driving F2, which oh, I think is I interesting. I've been starting okay. to watch those races. I didn't even know they had anything like mm-hmm. that. Where are those races? Are they all over the world as so well? So F2 just follows F1 around. Mm-hmm. They just don't have it on broadcast television. All right, so you're into finance. That's what you do, right? I am. Yep. And what do you think is going on with the market and inflation and ho- housing and all that stuff? Are we in a good place? I would say, so that's a great question. So housing and prices in general are obviously elevated or higher than they were. Uh, but it's not going to ever go back to that crazy, I'm going to outbid you by 100000 No. Well, the, the problem with housing is inventory. Yeah. Okay. Right. So we had low inventories even prior to going into COVID. And says inventories has been on declines for a long time. And and what you start to see now, the millennials are really the ones starting to buy homes. And um, so inventories are rather low. That's one problem. Housing starts. It's basically something we track how many new builders are starting to build new single-family homes. Mm-hmm. That's been on a very low level because they've been focusing on multifamily units, right. like condominiums and things like that. So l- low inventory low housing starts and the most important thing is that a lot of people including you and me had low rates because we refinanced we bought in a very low interest rate environment we got super lucky yeah but so why would we move yeah right so if right. we do decide to move then we would give up a two three percent rate yeah and now take on a six or seven so between those three things uh, there's very little movement in the housing market, which means that as soon something becomes available, people are going to jump on it, and that's going to keep prices elevated. So that's with the housing market. When it comes to inflation, um, that's been coming down nicely. Is it? Yeah, it's oh, been coming down nicely. everything costs a fortune right Well, now. I would say, so how we track things is that it's just how is inflation doing year over year? Right. So the only thing that you can expect to have a price cut and so forth is typically oil and gas. Right. And um, and and oil and gas is a very important component in the American family's life, because 
we need it no matter what the price is at. Of course. Right? So you act as a taxation on families. So if the price goes up on gas, well, we have less money to spend on other things because we still need to drive the yeah, same distance cost to work. Groceries. That has like gone that. up. Yep. It's so nuts. absolutely. And is that going to come back down? I'm not 100% certain. Sometimes I think that once the price goes up, yep. the providers are like, well, I'm not going to drop it down. No. The profits are good. However, prices go up because of um, materials needed to build it or, the or energy to demand move it. to get it. Yeah. The, you know, is there enough? And this costs more. So it's just a big long chain of now it costs more to do this. So I got to charge you this. Well, then I've got to charge you this. Yep. And then by the time it's at the end, it's our price. Correct. Then we're paying for Absolutely. all that. Absolutely. Yep. And and that that's that's obviously the case. And what you're looking at wage growth in the U.S. It has not been able to keep up with general inflation. But I would say the most important thing is that inflation is starting to get under control. However, we do foresee that that's probably going to be continued higher. Than, than inflation that we've seen in the past because we have gone through a massive deglobalization right now. Um, it's been always this talk about is the world is becoming globalized and, yeah. and you're shipping, you're manufacturing sure. overseas and all that. Mm -hmm. A lot of that stuff is actually being brought back home to the U.S. And we've seen higher levels in investments in manufacturing in the U.S. Uh, today than we've seen many, many years. And uh, the investments that's being done and the, for the manufacturing standpoint is really driven from a tech standpoint. It's not that we're going to start making undergarments and T-shirts and so forth here in the U.S. Mm -hmm. It's going to be more sophisticated stuff. And, and I think a lot of companies learned how reliant they were on the supply chains yeah. and how easy they were to break down during COVID. Mm -hmm. So, so we that is coming back to the U.S. and that's something that's been going on, believe it or not, within the past with the four past four presidents. Yeah, I believe that, and then that means that because they're bringing it back here, they have to start up, mm -hmm. which just costs money. Very much right? so. so yeah. They've got to gain that back. Do you think any of this has to do with the money given out during COVID? No, we got to get it back. No, I mean, don't get me wrong. There was a lot of money that was pumped into our economy during that time, but again. It was for a select few people. You know, inflation and so forth, you can always stem, and obviously these are my views, right? But when, when you think in terms of where we were mm -hmm. prior to COVID, and then all of a sudden we get locked down. We can't do anything, right? right? So we work from home. Very few people lost their jobs. And um, the people that did lose their jobs were people in the hospitality industry, servers, hotel people, and so forth. So when you're comparing their wages to someone that's a computer analyst at Microsoft sure. that was able to work from home, he's making 150, 200,000 a year compared to a server. Mm -hmm. So his economic impact in his society is, yeah, it's different, right? So, so now all of a sudden, I work from home, my wife worked for, she was in the pharmacy still, but I worked from home, I didn't lose my job. What we couldn't do was to go out and spend our money. Mm. So what we saw was the US consumer really paid down a lot of their household debt, credit cards, debts in general, and our savings rate went up. Interesting. Yeah, so our savings rate was almost in line with the Japanese, and the Japanese is really good at saving. And they're very they're prone. They're really good at a lot of stuff. Yeah, they're pretty sharp people. Yeah. Um, but that was nice. So we saved, and then all of a sudden, um, when the economy reopened again, everybody was just ready to go spend because we had all that money. 
And now we're just buying all these things and the things are flying off the shelves and there's nothing to replenish that. Gotcha. So now you're going to have more inflation on that end. And now Ashley was kept at work because of COVID being a pharmacist. Correct. She needed to be there to provide medicine, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Although she takes pride in saying that she sells drugs for a living. <laughs> <laughs> So your job, right? Yeah. Do yep. you handle like I have a friend in LA that handles billions of dollars mm -hmm. for people. Yeah. Is that what you do? Yeah. Like you just like here, give me your money and I'll go invest it for you. Yeah. So my job is, is really fun in that sense that as a financial advisor, your job is to guide your clients. So I tell all my clients, listen, you're the captain of this ship. Mm -hmm. You tell me where you want to go, and my job is to make sure that we get there, right? And uh, so a lot of times people come in and they say, hey, what do you offer? What do you have? What kind of rates can you give me? And and that's it doesn't really how it works, right? It's like it's like I'm walking up to you and say, hey, Peter, what kind of beats do you have? Yeah. First thing you ask, okay, what, what kind of album do you want to yeah. make? What kind of beats are you looking for? Yeah, like what are we trying to do? What's your identity? So my thing is that... Whatever I work with my clients, you need to have a plan. And I think a lot more people need to be aware of this because it's scary how little we save. And when you look at the average Americans and how mm -hmm. much they have relative to their age, mm -hmm. how poorly we save in our 401ks and things like that. Mm -hmm. Because the reality is that that's going to be a time in our life, right, where we can't physically work, right, and we need some extra money. Sure. Where's that coming from, right? And we have maybe some Social Security, but if that's not enough, where else are we going to get it? And I always tell my clients that you need to be loyal to future you. Mm. And the only person that cares about future you is the current you, yeah. right? So how do we making sure that he or she's taken care of? And But the problem also that we see is this instant gratification, right? So I have a, a client he uh, moved over from overseas, um, I don't know how many years ago, probably in the 70s, I think, moved to Chicago. Hmm. And he worked as a custodial worker, right, cleaning mm -hmm. toilets and things like that. Mm -hmm. With some of the money that he had, he bought socks. And he bought tons of socks, and he put them on a cart, and he used to walk every night three miles on the streets of Chicago selling those socks, rain or shine or snow. And that money he saved, hmm. and he bought his first condo. And he continued, and he bought a second condo, and a third, and a fourth. And then he sold his whole real estate empire and moved on to Florida, and that's when I met him. And he's good for a couple of million. The reason why I'm saying that is that he knew what he had to do for one, but he was not, it was no instant gratification. He mm -hmm. never compared himself that he needs to get this. He just had his own plan, and he knew that it's going to take time. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like social media today, where everybody's posting their best picture yes. of the weekend, yes. and everybody sees that, and now they think, oh, my God, that's his or her life that's all the time. That's not reality at all. Well, look, thank you for coming in. Yeah, you thanks know, for having me. I love this. I love just talking about life in general. When are you going to do the tacos again? Ah, soon, my friend. I hope so. Soon enough. That's my favorite. Yeah, I love those. Those are good. All right, brother. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Peter. Appreciate it. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon on the Pharmacy Podcast.